This is the sermon podcast for Bering Memorial United Methodist Church, a reconciling congregation located deep in the heart of Houston, Texas. For more information, please go to bearingumc.org. Welcome to week three of the Lenten Bible study on the book of Galatians and Dr. Elaine Heath's book, God Unbound. I want to talk first about chapter three of Galatians. This has become one of my favorite chapters in scripture. It is the Apostle Paul at his finest convoluted self. The argument is a little bit difficult He kind of gets esoteric on us, but if you can hang with it, there's some really important things in this chapter that will set us free in a way we've never been freed by the gospel before. Here's the first one. Paul takes this stand and refuses to move from it. Jesus overcomes the curse, the condemnation of the law, regarding what is clean and unclean, what is blessed and what is cursed, what is compatible with the law and what is incompatible with the law when he is crucified. Jesus overcomes all that when he is crucified. Why is that? Here's why. The law said, cursed, condemned, is anyone who hangs on a tree or a pole. They are incompatible and condemned under the law. They are incompatible with it as unclean, as reaping condemnation because they violate the law of God. But when Jesus is crucified, he becomes the very thing which the law condemns and calls incompatible. And then God raises Jesus from the dead in an affirmation that who Jesus is, the witness of Jesus' life and death, his life and crucifixion, is affirmed by God. Jesus, if you will, swallows up the law's condemnation and sets us all free from it when he is crucified and then raised. Just let that sink in. That in itself is the whole gospel. There is no more condemnation under the law for any of us because Christ has set us free. The second point Paul makes is that the law that the Judaizers, and Judaizers are Christians who are following the Jewish law and tradition and seeking to impose the obligations of the Jewish law and tradition on the Gentiles. Those are the Judaizers. So the law that the Judaizers are seeking to enforce is antecedent to the covenant between Abraham and God. It comes after the covenant between Abraham and God. That covenant is not based on or defined by the law. It is defined by faith in God's unthwartable promise. Christ, as the offspring of Abraham, is the child of promise. 
And by faith in Christ, we also become the children of promise, the children of Abraham. And as such, we are joint heirs to God's promise to Abraham. And that promise is based solely upon the character of God and our faith in that God. As Paul says so clearly in chapter 3, verses 17 through 18, and I quote, My point is this. The law, which came 430 years late, did not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to annul the promise. For if our inheritance comes from the law, it no longer comes from the promise. End quote. Paul is saying that Christ is the inheritance of the promise of Abraham. And we, through Christ, are also a part of that inheritance. And that inheritance is by faith alone. Jump to verses 23 through 29 of chapter 3 of Galatians. Paul says that the law was a disciplinarian. But, and again I quote, Now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to the disciplinarian. End quote. I don't think you can get any clearer than that. Therefore, Paul says, all the distinctions that the law made about compatibility and cleanness are done away with. Thus he proclaims there is no Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free. In that one sentence, Paul addresses and dismisses all the distinctions and the use of those distinctions to exclude from full participation in the community of Yahweh and thus of Christ, he dismisses all those distinctions and their use to exclude around religious practice, around gender identity and sexual orientation, and around economic and social privilege. They're done away with. Those were created by the law. That has no bearing on those who trust in Christ through faith and are joint heirs with Christ through faith based on the covenant that God made with Abraham 430 years before the law. That's awesome. Just sit with that and think about it. The third point is this. Because we have been freed from the law through Christ, Paul is adamant. Don't let anyone, don't let anyone, don't let anyone, even those with religious authority, put you back into bondage. There's a lot more in that chapter, but if you get those three things, you have got something that will set you free, that will set us free as a community, and will confirm who we are in Christ. So work on those and see what else you come up with. Let's take a minute and look at chapter 3 of Elaine Heath's book, God Unbound. She's talked about so far that we are freed from the law by faith. She's talked about listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit learning to discern what God may have to say to us through prayer, through the study of scripture, through conversation in faith communities of accountability, about 
where the spirit is moving in this moment in God's history. So in this chapter three, looking back at how Paul discerned that the revelation that he had received from Christ was indeed trustworthy is a pattern for how we can make such discernments when we hear God speak to us. So she talks about criteria for spiritual discernment based on what Paul used to determine that the revelation he had received was indeed from Christ. She makes three points. Paul seeks insight and wisdom from those who are more mature in their faith. Now, that's not based on credentials given by religious authorities or institutions necessarily. They may have those things. But these are people who are mature in their faith. They have been with Jesus for a long time, in this case, from the beginning. And they are filled with the Spirit. And he'll tell us later how you can tell whether someone is filled with the Spirit. So the first criteria for discerning whether God is speaking to us is seeking insight and wisdom from those who are spiritually mature and have walked with Christ for a long time. And she suggests maybe listening to folks who don't quite fit the standard molds for who speaks with wisdom. And that seeking insight and wisdom does not mean unquestionable acceptance of their views. That's the first point. The second thing she says that we can use for spiritual discernment is going on pilgrimage to sacred sites. Now, that may be difficult for some of us, but you can create sacred spaces within your own current environment and rhythm of your life. You can use a labyrinth. You can use an altar space. You can walk just as if you were on pilgrimage. Going to, on pilgrimage to sacred sites and then, and here's the criteria that's most important, spending time in sustained prayer. How many of us actually do that? Spend time in sustained prayer for a day, for a week, maybe once a year, maybe once a quarter, or even as a regular rhythm of our day. There's a book by Brother Lawrence called Practicing the Presence of God, and he talks about how you spend time in sustained prayer throughout the routine of your day. He was a cook and dishwasher in the kitchen at a monastery. He was busy at work all day, and yet he spent time in sustained prayer all through the day. The third thing she suggests is that as we seek God, as we listen, as we pray, as we study the word, we allow spiritual dissonance. Rather than dismissing it, we listen to those things that disrupt our understanding and we hold them in tension. We hold them in the space of reflection and allow that dissonance to restory our lives. Work on those three things from Dr. Lane's Heath book and on the three points from Galatians and you'll have more than enough to wrestle with, play with, investigate, explore together in this next session.